Hey, good morning, West Bulls. Thank you for tuning in whenever you're tuning in to watch. We are in the final week of a series we've been going through called When Right Now is in the Rearview. And the whole premise behind it is that eventually, as, as has been made clear, right now is going to be in the rearview mirror of our lives. And one day, when we're looking in the rearview mirror of our lives, we're going to look back at right now and realize there were lessons that we learned during all this. And there were, there were things that maybe became insights for us during times like this. And one day in the future, those are going to be lessons. Those are going to be lessons for, and this may not be a comforting thought, the next time this happens. Now, next time this happens just sounds dreadful right now. But truth be told, a day is coming where there, this is going to happen again. And it may not look like a pandemic, and, and the details may look completely different, but there's going to come a time where difficult times are going to be around us again. And so what are some things that God is showing us right now for the next time we go through this? And perhaps there's nobody better qualified to give us God's word on that than Peter. Peter, who in his own life had tr a tremendous amount of difficult trying times. And there's, there's something that Peter knew. Peter knew as a result of a conversation with Jesus just a few days after Peter had denied Jesus. Peter knew that we have a, very, we have a couple very human dynamics to us when it comes to trying times. Number one, we gravitate toward what is comfortable. As David Perez said the first week of this entire series, we want and we gravitate to what is comfortable. In fact, Jesus, a few days after Peter denied him, the resurrected Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Peter, there is a day coming. One day, people are going to lead you where you do not want to go. See, in difficult times, we don't want to go to the place that isn't comfortable. And so we naturally avoid difficult times. We, we spend a lot of energy trying to be comfortable and Jesus says, no, you're, you're actually going to be led somewhere you do not want to go. I was reminded of that this morning. My wife, my wife, whether I want to recognize that she's right or not, tells me how to dress. And sometimes I listen and sometimes I don't. But I, I gravitate towards what's comfortable. I would love to be preaching right now in gym shorts or sweatpants and a t-shirt. But she said, no, 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 that's, that's not going to work. Comfortable would not be the best thing in this case, Nathan. But the second thing about our human nature during difficult times that we, we fail to recognize is that we're being watched. Whether, whether you're formally in a leadership role or not, you have influence. And much of what we say and do is, you've heard this phrase, is caught, not just taught. I'm reminded of that commercial children of the 80s. You'll remember this. If, you're, if you grew up in the 80s, I'm reminded of that vivid commercial where this dad walks into a living room and he's holding a container of cigarettes and he says to his son, where did you learn this? Where, where did you pick this up from? And the boy looks at his dad and I just loved this moment as I watched it. He said, from you, dad. I learned it from watching you. Truth be told, we're all being watched. And so Peter, as he goes down the home stretch of his letter, he uses this phrase that originally caused me to wonder if I was even going to preach this message to you. He says, to the elders among you. In other words, this part of the letter is for pastors. And I thought, well, you don't need to hear that. And then as I thought, 
about down the road that one day right now is going to be in the rear view that one day we were all we're all going to have more experience than we had had before i realize that we're all going to be in a position of influence and leadership at some point and god has something to say through peter at the end of this letter and he contrasts what we gravitate to that that comfortable side of things and what he would have us do take a look at what peter has to say in first peter chapter 5 to the elders among you i appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care watching over them not because you must but because you are willing as god wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away i don't know if you picked up on this but there are a number of shifts in what we just read and there shifts away from what we naturally gravitate to that life of comfortable toward the life that god wants from those who lead other people in the first shift you can hear it it's a shift from mine and what i think is mine to his to that which is god's listen to this again verse 2 be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care watching over them I've noticed when I interact with leaders uh, uh, at any level in any organization that there's a tendency to use language of mine and yours. Uh, people will tend to refer to their organization or their people as my people. Or they'll ask questions about when your people do something, what is it like? And the thing we all have to be reminded is that if we're involved in the work of advancing the gospel, there is no mine and yours to any of it. It's all his it's God's flock perhaps Peter had this in mind as he wrote this perhaps he had in mind the conversation that he and Jesus had just a few days after he had denied Jesus when the resurrected Jesus said to him Peter Peter remember to feed my lambs emphasis Jesus lambs feed my lambs tend to my sheep feed my sheep See, that's, that's a challenge for us because all day long, we walk around like the seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo. You remember that? Enjoy having that clip run through your brain for the rest of today. Not that any of us really needed help with that phrase running through our minds. There's a second shift Peter points at, and it's this idea of shifting from this being something we have to do to something we get to do. Here's what he has to say in the next part of verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. You can hear a, a shift there. You can hear the shift from duty and, and the waking up every day saying, I have to, to desire, to saying, I get to. And there is a very real, real dynamic to being involved in the work of the gospel. Whether you work for a church or you don't, whether it's in your workplace or at school or on a team, that when you move from I have to to I get to, 
you join in on something that Peter knew well. Because remember Peter, Peter in the rear view of his life, he probably remembered a time that he was a fisherman. And he, his aspirations for his life really didn't go beyond that. Until one day, his brother came to him. And at his brother's invitation, he came and met this rabbi. And to follow a rabbi in that culture meant you had to be so studied, years of experience behind you. You had to be the best of the best of the best. And here was Peter, a fisherman, being invited to follow this rabbi. The rabbi who looked him in the eyes and said, you are Peter. And he gave him a whole new identity. See, to be involved in the work of advancing the gospel is really to get to take part in a whole new identity that we're given. I'm reminded of the movie Catch Me If You Can. There was Finding Nemo and Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can is about a con man named Frank Abagnale who swindled millions of dollars from people, primarily through check fraud. And when he was finally caught, while he deserved imprisonment and he deserved punishment and he deserved to sit in a cell, and see nothing greater for his life, the FBI actually tapped him on the shoulder and they said, you were so good at what you did. We need your help. And Frank Abagnale went from being a con man who deserved punishment to somebody who was actually able to take part in work for the good. See, the work of the gospel is never a have to. It is a get to because we deserved. We deserved punishment. And Jesus looked at all of us and he said, no, no, I want to use you in what I'm up to in the world. Well, there's another shift that takes place. Not only, not only is there a shift from mine to his, not only is there a shift from I have to to I get to, but there's a shift from, from taking from other people to giving to other people. Verse 3 says this, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Do you ever consider the reasons we, we take from people? Oftentimes it's because we're trying to gain something for ourselves. And if we don't see that it's going to happen in a legitimate way, we are not beyond trying to take it from people in a dishonest, illegitimate way. And I have to think as Peter wrote this, that maybe just ruminating in his brain, in the rearview mirror of his life experience, perhaps he came to the reminder of this day that thousands of people sat on a hillside and Jesus recognized they were hungry. And so he took a few fish, a few loaves of bread, and he multiplied it and fed thousands. But Jesus didn't do it on his own. He actually asked his disciples to pass it out. And I thought, wow, what a picture of influence in leadership in the work of the gospel, what it ought to look like. It's, it's this idea that we are always supplied. There's a never-ending supply of all we need in order to serve others with. And so we don't have to take it from anybody. We're actually able to serve people out of the overflow of what we ourselves have received. A man named John Holt said it so well. He said it this way. Ministry is giving when you feel like keeping. Praying for others when you need to be prayed for. Feeding others when your own soul is hungry. Living truth before people even when you can't see results. Hurting with other people even when your own hurt can't be spoken. Keeping your word even when it is not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh 
wants to run away. You see, we are able to lead and have a godly influence on others because we have everything we need before we go do any of that. And that doesn't mean there won't be times of, of sensing that we have a need, but we're already supplied. Well, there's a fourth shift that Peter points at in here, and it's this idea that, that leading others during difficult times is not lording over them, it's walking alongside them. It's walking with them. Here's what he has to say in verse 3 not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Isn't it interesting, and you've no doubt sat under leadership in some area that ruled with an iron fist, and and many of us likely came out of that with with baggage and, and some horrible experiences. And Peter reminds us that in the work of the gospel, of advancing the gospel, that's not how things work. You don't lord over anybody. You actually walk alongside them. You, you serve as an example based on your own experience of his love and his grace on you. I, I am sure that Peter at some point replayed the conversation on the heels of what we know as communion. They had all just basically taken communion together. And on the heels of it, it's very interesting what happens. Immediately, it says there's a dispute that arose between all the disciples as to who would be the greatest, as to who would lord over the others. And Jesus, Jesus looks Peter in the eyes and he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you, like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And then he says this, when you have been strengthened, turn and strengthen your brothers. Not turn and overpower your brothers, not turn and run over your brothers, turn and strengthen your brothers with the strength you have received. We're to serve as an example. It reminded me of the difference between like a hose nozzle and a sprinkler. You know, a hose nozzle can turn on the flow of water anytime it wants. And oftentimes, a lot of our biggest troubles in leadership come because we turn it on and off as we please. But, but God says, and Peter says, no, no, you're more like one of those sprinklers that it, it doesn't have an on-off switch. The water just flows out of it. And the sprinkler itself gets as wet as everything surrounding it. In other words, we walk with the people that God has entrusted us with. And that leads to this fifth shift in this passage. It's the idea that we shift from human reward to his rewards, to the rewards God would have for those who shepherd the people he has entrusted to them. Here's what Peter says, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I don't know about you, but it's too easy for me to just blow right through that sentence without thinking about the gravity of what Peter has just said. That there is a crown of glory that will never fade away. I mean, I can't even comprehend it, but I think part of the reason for that is because we spend so much time looking around us. What are the earthly rewards? What's what's the return I'm going to get in exchange for sacrificing my time, my energy? It's it's just what we all naturally do. 
And there's a well-known story of Peter that I, I know many of us know. There's a time where he's in a boat and he sees off in the distance Jesus is out on the water. He's actually on the water. And Peter calls out to Jesus and he says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus invites him out of the boat and Peter steps out of the boat. And for a moment or two, he's actually walking on the water. Now, obviously, we focus on what happens next. Peter looks around and he looks at himself and he begins to sink. And it's an appropriate picture of what happens to us when we look around for earthly rewards, for earthly glory, we begin to sink. But imagine just for those couple moments that Peter actually walked on the water. Why? Why was he able to walk on water? Because of the presence of the Lord. See, the true reward of being involved in the work of the gospel is Jesus himself, that he's present with us. That's a crown of glory that will never fade away, ever. I'm reminded that for all the looking around I do, the Alpha and the Omega, God himself, the creator of the universe and everything in it, he says, you have my presence. What more do you need? What earthly promise, what earthly reward, what earthly benefit would measure up to that? And so, in the span of four verses, five shifts, tremendous shifts, from what we naturally gravitate to, human comfort, to something better, the character of Christ. There's a shift from mine to his. There's a shift from I have to do this work to I get to do this work. There's a shift from taking from people to giving to people. There's a shift from lording over people to walking with people. And there's a shift from human rewards, our rewards, to his rewards. You know what I notice about those shifts that Peter highlights here? Is that they are all shifts away from what we naturally gravitate to. A life of comfort. And they're shifts away from a life of what's comfortable to what David reminded us of in week one of this series. A shift from comfortable that we, that we want to character. Because ultimately what God wants to produce in us individually and as a church body is the character of Christ. And Peter, as he continues, as we'll see in just a minute, he actually points at a starting point. At a starting point that is really a training ground that none of us, whether you're in leadership or not, ever really leaves. It's the training ground that we remain in all of our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this. In the same way, you who are younger, that is, not just age younger, but maybe spiritual experience younger, spiritual life younger. He says, you who are younger, which could be said of all of us, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with, and here's the word, humility. Humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Did you catch that applicational shift Peter gave us? He says, cultivate humility. And humility is this shift from walking around saying, who's for me? And shifting to who am I for? 
Humility shifts from who's for me to who I'm for. Because we know God is for us. Peter just told us, God's been for you, so you are free and you are supplied and you can operate from the overflow of being for the God who invited you into what he's up to in the world and being for him and being for those that he entrusts to you. And so let us cultivate humility because as one anonymous person said, and they said it so well, the trouble with being a leader today is that you can't be sure whether people are following you or chasing you. I mean, isn't that quote so true? Do you not have leaders? Do we not all have leaders in our past that we'd rather chase after than follow? And the reason for it often is because in, in the process of trying to gravitate towards what is comfortable, leaders, ourselves included, we tend to, make, we tend to fail to make these shifts that cause people to want to chase us. And so if we, want to, if we just want to increase the probability that people are actually following us and are in, in a godly influence, then the best thing we can do is cultivate humility. Because Jesus embodied it and Jesus commanded it, but people appreciate it. And so how do you do that? Because last I checked, you don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do humility today. In fact, it's in the trying to do humility that we often ruin humility, don't we? It's because humility is not something you just go out and do. Humility is a byproduct. Humi humility is a fruit of time with a Savior who embodied it. Humility is the fruit of spending time with our Savior. That's how humility comes about. And with that in mind, Peter lands the letter. Here's what he has to say. Verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Isn't that interesting imagery? That, that when we're filled with pride, not humility, when we treat pride like it's a, a little kitten, we're in for a surprise because Peter would say, no, it's, it's not a kitten. It is a lion that will devour you the moment you get in that space. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Think of it. That in work and in a world where we point at leaders who lead with an iron fist and who roam around as if they have total control, Jesus says, no, I, I'm going to liberate you from all that to, to wield an influence far greater than you ever could have had on your own. During the most trying, difficult of times, I invite you to a life of humility. Because in cultivating a life of humility, you have that influence. You have not, not any human influence. You have his influence. One of my favorite stories, and I know it's one I've shared before, but one of my favorite stories is that of, of a shepherd in Iraq and, and ISIS, the terrorist group ISIS, they were on the rise and they were chasing down anybody they could and hunting them down. And he got word that they were moving into the territory where he had his flock. 
And so as he moved his flock toward the border, he came to a checkpoint. And he was told that you, the shepherd, you can cross here, but your flock, they've got to remain. And they've got to stay in the danger. And the shepherd, looking across the border, looking at freedom, and then looking at his flock, and then perhaps looking at freedom again, and looking at his flock, the shepherd made the decision to remain with his flock. And that's exactly what our shepherd, Jesus Christ, did for us. Where, where he could have escaped and he, he could have dwelled in safety or never even come to this earth, he decided to come and be with his flock. And now he turns to you and I and he says in the midst of trying times, perhaps dangerous times, difficult times, I invite you to a life that's not comfortable, but it does cultivate the character of Jesus. And in order to carry that out, he says, you have a promise. You've got my presence. And that is all you and I need. West Bowles, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a shepherd who you could, you could have just stayed where you were. You could have come to this earth and you could have been completely protected and oblivious from any and all earthly harm and instead you stepped fully into it. You stepped into it as God, but you became a man in the flesh. And you subjected yourself to earthly harm. Why? So that you could be with us. Not just here on earth, but that we would one day be with you throughout eternity. And so if there is, if there's anything, if there's anything in the way of helping us recognize that, would you remind us that you're a God who you invite us to point people to you. Rather than to make ourselves the point of everything we go through, you invite us to shift, to make all the shifts Peter talks to us about in order that we would be like and with you. We thank you for this, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bowles, we will see you next week.